looking to the sidelines, and man, I just started playing harder right away. Just to look at the dude, it caused me to play harder. But I remember another time when uh, I was playing actually in front of Bob Huggins. He was at one time a coach of uh, University of Cincinnati, then Kansas State, and now he's at West Virginia. And I remember him being on the sidelines. It was during warm-ups, and for some reason, uh, he wasn't there to see me, by the way, but uh, just to make that clear to you, I just happened to be there. And uh, I just remember, though, uh, being nervous. And I can remember, it just seemed like every shot I was shooting in warm-ups was, was coming up short. Just kept coming up short, and I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm aiming, you know, I'm aiming right, and I have my eyes focused on uh, the right place on, on the rim, but everything kept coming up short. Well, somehow through the rumor mills, because when coaches like that come in the gym, it's like everybody's talking and everything. Well, somehow a word got back to me that Coach Huggins says his problem is is he's keep, he keeps coming up short on his follow-through. That's his problem. And so I thought about it. I'm like, all right, I'm focused on the, on the rim in the right place. But what I was doing is when I was shooting the shot, my hand was stopping there. And if you know anything about basketball, that's not good. All right, that's why you clank them off the rim. And so I had to start rethinking this. All right, not only do I have to have focus, but I also have to have the right follow-through. And that means I need to be shooting, actually pretending my hand is going all the way through that rim and letting that ball come right off my fingertips. I need to have the right follow-through, too. And I share that illustration with you because last week, as we approached Colossians, we talked about that if we're going to live out this life in Christ, we first have to start with the right focus in our lives. It is, we need to be seeking those things that are above. We need to be setting our minds on the things above. We need to be living the light of our new position in Christ. But we don't want to just stop there with that reality and that positional truth. Because if you do, you're going to end up coming short and living out the life in Christ. We have to have the right focus but we also need to follow through with the commands and the guidance that God gives us in His Word, too. Make sense? So not only in basketball or any other sport do you need to have focus and follow through, but in the Christian life, you have to have your eyes focused, but you also have to be ready to obey and to follow through. In our passage this morning, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5-11, through 11, I want to begin to share some of those key follow-through steps that you and I need to take in order to live life out in Christ. We're going to share a few this morning, and then next Sunday we're going to spend a a big focus on on the last one. But let's do that this morning. Let's first look into the text. And I want to suggest that the first step of follow-through is to decisively choose to kill any sin in your life. Look at the text there. It says, therefore, now remember, when there's a therefore, you got to remember what it's there for. And if you back up to verses uh, 3 and 4, you'll see that he has just said that you're, you have died. That was a positional truth. That is, Christ has already died for our sins for us. He says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That it, and that is your life, that our security, our safety are, is all found because our lives are now hidden in Christ. And then he says this, he says, Christ is going to return and we who are are in Christ will be revealed, revealed, will appear with Him in glory. That is, Christ is coming back someday and we're going to appear with Him in glory. That is, we're going to be changed, we're going to be transformed. And he says, in view of that, therefore, this is what I want you to do. 
Consider the members of your earthly body as dead. As dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to, get this, which amounts to idolatry. In essence, what what Paul is saying here is he says there, in, in light of your new position in Christ, I don't want that just to be a a positional truth, but I want it to be a practical truth. That is, you need to start, in light of this new identity you have, you need to consider your bodily members as dead to such sins as this. Now this phrase, let's dig into this. This phrase, consider as dead, is literally, it's one word. And I really don't like the translation of the New American Standard here because it it leaves us coming up short. It's not just a just a plain attitude that we're to have, but it's an attitude that leads to action. It's literally, the, the, the term here is to put to death or to kill. And so it's more than an attitude, it's an action. It's in your old King James Version, it's to mortify. And so he says, we're to, to, we're to crush these kind of sins in our lives in order to seek the things above, that is, we're commanded to kill the members of our earthly body. Now this begs the question, are we actually to kill the, the, our parts of our body? I mean, our literal parts? Are, are we to take this literally? And I say this because when you look back over the expanse uh, of history, some have taken phrases like this and also phrases of Jesus. They've taken them literally and put them literally into action. One of our great theologians from the early church, a man named Origen, had a problem with evil thoughts. And it said that he voluntarily had himself castrated. I remember as I read this story, I was a member of a story I saw on Little House on the Prairie. Carol Ingalls. She got an infection in her leg. and the infe- See, someone else saw that show too, right there. All right, she got an infection in her legs, and then it started messing with her mind. And then I remember showing this scene. She's sitting there in that little house, and she has the Bible open to Matthew, where it talks about cutting off things unless to be cast into hell. And she's reading that, and I'm thinking, no, it doesn't mean literally do that. All right? But fortunately, I think, what's his name? Her husband comes running in. Uh, oh, I don't know. Anyway, Charles, thank you. Man, some people were mad at me over here. But Charles must have come in and ran in and, and you know, exegeted it properly for her. I don't know. But she didn't do that. But we're not to take it literally like that. See, the reality is physical dismemberment doesn't change the heart, does it? Remember, I guess, told that uh, back in England in centuries past, uh, if a pickpocket was caught pickpocketing somebody, he had a, he had a hand cut off. And then it was said if he got caught again, he had the other hand cut off. And as, as the story goes, it is said that one guy had both hands uh, cut off, but then got pickpocketing with his teeth. See, the problem is the heart. And as Scripture tells us, we need a circumcision of the heart. And that's something that God brings to us when we are placed into Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, what Paul is using here is he's using a figure of speech. It's a, it's a particular type of figure of speech, a literary device where when he speaks of the parts, he's speaking of the parts that are associated with the actions. So in essence, he's speaking of things that take place that are carried out by our earthly body parts. 
So when he speaks of immorality and all these things, he says, he speaks of the body itself. We are to put the death, literally, it would be probably better translated, put to death the use of your body for such things. He says, get serious about this, folks. This is not who you are in Christ any longer. Instead of using your body, which is now, Scripture tells us, is a temple of the Lord, instead of using it for these such sins such as this, kill the use of that. Mortify it. There's three things we need to do to develop this kind of attitude. The first is we need to say this. When we come and our bodies are presented with opportunities to sin in such a way, we need to have a mindset that says, you know what? I'm done with that. that that's, that's who I used to be. That's who I was before Christ. But this is not who I am now. And I'm done with that. I'm not going to allow my body to be used for those such things. There's a story of these two sisters who uh, in their B.C., before Christ days, they were known as they loved to party. Okay, And there's nothing wrong with parties, but there's certain kind of parties that aren't right. And there was those kind of parties that they loved to party in. And when they came to know Christ, when they converted, they put their faith and trust in Christ, some old friends eventually sent them uh, an invitation to um, one of those kind of parties. And they got the, the invitation and they thought up on it for a while. And then they wrote back... And this is what they wrote on their RSVP. They wrote, We regret that we cannot attend because we recently died. Isn't that cool? We regret that we cannot attend because we recently died. In essence, what they're saying is, I'm done to that. I'm, I'm dead to those things. i got new life in Christ. The second thing is, we need to do not present the members of your body to sin, but to God. If you want to put things to death, you can't present the members of your body to sin. You've got to turn around and you present them to God and say, God, this is your body. I'm going to present it to you to use, not to these sins. While I was on vacation in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, I was getting to the end of our trip and... Uh, uh, we had actually, there was this store near my kids just love. The, the store was called Crazy for Candy. All right, the first trip, I made it through just fine. But I, remember, I'm a diabetic, if you didn't know that. I got this little portable pancreas that I wear. And, uh, but there, so the second time that we went, though, I went back with them again to this store called Crazy for Candy. Okay? And as I get in this store... All of a sudden, I see all these cotton. They had, this, you guys remember like jawbreakers in the little boxes that at one time you could get for like a dime, all right? And they had, you know, Boston baked beans. Anyone remember those? All right, some of you are like, yes, give me some. And you're like lemon heads when they came in the old lemon head box. And guess what? They had the big league chew and three different flavors in there. And like my mind went back to all these things growing up. And guess what? I bought them. Didn't I, Elizabeth? I'm a diabetic. I don't need to be presenting my body to lemon heads. All right? We can't do that. I, I didn't need to be in crazy for candy in the first place. But don't we do that with our lives? 
We walk down aisles. We don't need to walk down men, don't we? Because there's magazines there that we don't even need to have our bodies presented to, don't we, guys? Or maybe it's other temptations. We don't need to present our bodies to. The third thing is, is we don't need to make excuses. This is where I like to make excuses. All right? How many else make excuses? Come on. Just get, come on. Admit it. Get it out. Confess. Okay? I want to present to you top five excuses why we don't seek to live righteously. All right? Here they are. Number one, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. True. That's true. But you know what? We've got to stop using it as an excuse. We are forgiven. But the purpose of salvation wasn't just to forgive us of our sins, but it was also to transform us and to change us. The grace of God ought to produce, or the grace of God ought to teach us to deny ungodliness. Second excuse we often like to use is, well, I didn't know. Guess what? You do now, okay? You do now. No more excuses on that one. Third is, well, it's legalistic. Tell you what, I'm a huge touter of grace. I hate legalism, okay? I hate legalism is that idea where we, where we add things to the Bible, where we bring other requirements that the Bible doesn't teach, okay? But we ought not substitute the word legalism where the word holiness rightfully belongs, Okay? Legalism is adding something, but holiness is taking the Bible seriously. Fourth excuse. Well, well, everybody's doing it. Guess what? You're not everybody. You're not everybody else. Your life is not hidden in Christ. Stop using that excuse. And fourth or fifth, I should say, I can't stop. You know when someone comes and they tell me I can't stop, you know what nine times out of ten they're saying? I won't stop. Let me tell you something. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you're not only is your life hidden in Christ, but the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. And guess what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. And the last one is, Self-control. Now, you can't, but through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can. So stop with the excuses. Put the death sin in your life. Now, look what Paul says here in the rest of verse 5. He said, listen to the sins that he lists here. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Again, he's not trying to be exhaustive here. He, what he's doing is he's just giving a sampling of sins. There's other sins out there. But he's giving one that certainly those in Colossae could relate to and certainly us can relate to. These are all sexual sins here. Immorality is the word where we get pornonia from. It has to do with any illicit sex outside God's prescribed guidelines of marriage. That covers a lot. The second is impurity. That has to do with more of the embracing of lurid images, the embracing of, of, of the lurid speech and, and deeds or, or, or filth of the mind. Then there's passion, which is it's when those things are going out of control, perhaps, or those things are kind of pervasing, those desires are pervasing through your life. And there's evil desires. Again, that has to do with the mind. But I want you to notice the progression here, what he does. 
What he does is he starts with this outward action of it with immorality, and he kind of works his way back to the thoughts. So he goes from the actions to kind of these thoughts, and then he ends up with the, the underlining motive. And look what he says that it is. He says it's greed. The last one he presents is greed. Greed or, or covetousness. To covet is often the, the heart root of sin. Literally, this word greed comes from two words, which mean to, to, to have more. It's that insatiable desire that what I have, I, I want more of something. Give me more. His greed is not just found in sexual sense. It's just the example that Paul is using here. It's, it can cover a wide range of sins. If it is a desire for money, greed often leads to theft. If it is desire for prestige, it often leads to evil ambition. If it is desire for power, writes one, it, is, it leads to tyranny. If it's a desire for person, as it is here, it leads to sexual sin. The thing is, it's not wrong to want more or to have more. Okay? It's not, things are not wrong in and of themselves. But they are wrong when you want more and you, you seek for those things outside of God's prescribed motives for your life and, and means for your life. It becomes greed. And what does Scripture say this amounts to? Look in your text. What does all this amount to? Tell me. Idolatry. Folks, this is serious stuff. This sin stuff. Idolatry is not just bowing down and wor wor you know, worshiping a wooden idol. But idolatry is when you let anything or anyone replace the place that God should have in your life. And that's what we do with our sins. When we pursue those and we go hungry after them, we want more and more. They retake God's place in our life. And it's idolatry, folks. And we've got to put that to death. The antidote for this is contentment. The antidote for greed is contentment. I love the passage in Philippians 4. Here's Paul's writing. He says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. See, Paul, it was, it's all right to have things. It's all right to have abundance. But is that the motive of your life? And Paul says, I'm content. I'm content, Lord, if you give me abundance or if you give me wants. I'm content. And why? What's the key to this contentment? Look what it says in verse 13 of Philippians 4. It says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You see, the reason he could find contentment is because his trust was not in things or himself, but it was in God. It was in Christ Jesus. That was the source of his strength, and that was the trust of his life. And that's the only place you and I are going to find it too. Now, Paul goes on here in verse 6, and he gives us two motives of why we should put such sin to death in our lives. Look what he says there in verse 6. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. This is convicting to me. 
Now, some of your versions don't have the sons of disobedience on there. It's kind of debated, but another passage in Ephesians 5 gives the same truth, the same sons of disobedience there. But the point that Paul is making is, just, is he's saying this is the kind of stuff that God's wrath is going to be poured out upon, particularly on those who are unbelievers. Now, as believers in Christ, Scripture tells us there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is, we don't have to worry about the wrath of God in our lives. But, it's these kind of sins that condemn people and that are sending people to hell in a handbasket, folks. So why in the world would you and I, whose lives are hidden with Christ, why would we want to perpetuate this kind of living in this world when enough of it's going on on its own, right? That's convicting, isn't it? If it's not to you, it is to me. This is the stuff that sends people to hell. Don't take part in it. Put it to death. Be done with it. I'm done with that old stuff. In second, look what he says in verse 7. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. He's saying, hey, that's who you used to be. It's not who you are now. That's not how I look at you anymore. So don't live that way. Then he goes on to say, verse 8, But now you also put them all aside. Put them all aside. They list some societal sins that have to do with the tongue. And also have to do with just, as it says, your anger and wrath and malice and slander, abuse of speech, do not lie to one another. Now, I love this word, put aside or put off. It's a, it's a very illustrative word. The use of the word, this word here particularly, is found in other New Testament passages to refer to the literal removing of clothing from your life. So here's, here's the imagery, and it's, it's to be a very decisive action. He says, but now you also put them all aside, a very determined and decisive action that you're supposed to take here. In light of who you are, in light of what he just said in verse 7, this is where you once walked, you were once living in them, but now you, you have this new life in Christ. He's saying, take that kind of clothing off of you. Take it off. Put it aside. Now, when I came down to Waco, when we moved from Missouri, um, and then I, I began to start working out at the Y, uh, my wife came up to me. She came up alongside of me one day, and she kind of looked at me and what I was wearing, and she just kind of in a very graceful and loving way, she said, uh, you need to get some new clothes. You know, those gym clothes you got are, are ratty. And so basically she, she, she said, man, you, you need to clean your gym bag out and get some new clothes on you. And the reality is when we come to accept Christ as our Savior, we need to put off the stuff that we used to carry around in our gym bags and stop wearing it. So you need to go in, and as Paul suggests here, you need to go in, you need to find, get those old nasty shirts out to say anger. You know, that underlining anger that's just kind of a quiet thing, but it's there. You need to put it off. And that wrath, maybe wear wrath on your shoulder. I was going to make a joke about this, but my wife said don't. 
Maybe the wrath is on your shoulder, okay? Maybe it's malice. That's, that, that's just that the ill will that you have. You're so angry at somebody, you ill will to them. Paul says you've got you to put that aside. You've got you to be done with that. Put it off. Take those clothes off. Then he says, he goes on, he, he talks about slander. So don't be slandering anybody. Don't be speaking bad about folks. Look how nasty that looks. It is. That kind of clothing is nasty, folks. He says, take that off. And, and right underneath slander, it doesn't say it in there, but a type of slander is gossip. Be done with that stuff. Take that old nasty shirt off. And lies? Now you're following the light now. Don't be telling lies and untruth. Take that, take that out of your gym bag and, and put that off too. Now you all need to go in there and dig a little more. I know i got to do a lot of digging in my bag. I had a lot of nasty clothes, but maybe it's this one right here. Maybe it's immorality. I'm not naive enough to look out here and know that someone's not here struggling with this. As I said, immorality covers all kinds of sexual sins, particularly this one right here. See that? Pornography. Matter of fact, the word pornea makes up pornography. The other word being graphia, which means literally to, it has to do with sexual writing or sexual illustration. Is the idea behind it? And there's no doubt in my mind there's not some struggling with this today, right now. And I don't come at you I'm trying to judge you or be down on you, but I'm here to tell you the truth. This stuff will eat your lunch. This stuff will destroy your mind. It will destroy your life and your family and all those you love. I've seen it. I've seen it happen to folks. You need to put it aside. You need to kill it. If someone here struggling today, let me tell you, come see me. I'm not going to be surprised or shocked no matter who it is. But you need help. Paul says, take this, take this garbage off and throw it aside. Put it off you. I don't know what else is in your bag, but there might be other things there. It might be some jealousy or, or envy, whatever it is. You need to tear it off and you need to put it aside. Say, I'm done with that junk. That's the kind of clothing I used to wear. But it's not now who I am in Christ Jesus. Put it aside. Now, the Scripture goes on here in verses 9b and 10. It, it says two means that make this possible. It says this, Since you laid aside the old self and it's with its evil practices and have put on the new self. And so what, what happens here, first he's reminding you, here, here's why you need to put this aside. That is, is because of the replacement of the old man with the new man through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you are not that old self any longer. That is, through the work of Jesus Christ, that old self has been crucified. And you've been given a new self in the Holy Spirit's work. To be born again literally means it has the idea of regenerating, to have new birth, new spiritual birth. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that if... Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. You're new. So take off that stuff of the old self. Because you have a new self that has been put on. And here's the question, because here's the question I have in my life. Well, Matt, if I have a new self, 
Why do I still sin? Why do I still do that? Galatians chapter 5 talks about a thing called the flesh. And I believe the flesh is different than the old self. The flesh is that, that part of us, it's that, that part of us that, uh, it's that inner disposition of the old life, the old habits, the old way of thinking. In reality, I have a new gym bag in Christ Jesus. I have new clothing. But you know what? I still remember because I still haven't, again, that's, I still haven't got a new body yet. It's not the body itself that's sinful, but it's, it's the practices within that body that still remember how to go, want to go over here and want to take one of these shirts on and want to try to... I still remember how to put my arms and my head through these shirts. And that's, in essence, that's kind of what the, the flesh is. It still has the remembrance of those habits. It still knows how to use its earthly body for those kinds of things. That's the flesh. And that's why you want to know why God says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's because our minds still think and operate on using those kind of clothing. And so we have to have our minds changed and transformed to operate to use clothing that is different, of which we'll talk about next week. We have to be renewed. And that's, that's the second thing I want to share with you, how this is possible. That is, through the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. Look what he says in verse 10. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Now this word being renewed is what we call, uh, grammarians call a present passive participle. And it indicates a continuous progressive process that is brought on by an applied agent. That is, someone without yourself, outside of yourself. Notice it says, who is being renewed. That is, there's a work being done to us in order for to help us to live out this new self. And that work, as Scripture tells us, is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is, you now have a Holy Spirit in your life that when you want to go here and you want to grab these things, you have a Holy Spirit who comes along you and He's convicting you and saying, no, that's not, that's part of your old self, that's your new self, that conviction. And you have a Holy Spirit who will take the truth of God's Word, and if you let Him, He will transform and change the way that you think. Notice with the text, and look what He's transforming us to. A true knowledge, this is not just an intellectual knowledge, it's a true knowledge, it's a, a thorough, it's an experiential, personal knowledge. It's not just knowing it up here, but it's feeling it and seeing it lived out in your life. To a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. And who is that? It's Christ. That is, though hourly we still, our bodies still remember how to operate with the flesh, the Holy Spirit is working in us to transform us and change us so that our head and our heart change and our hands' actions change to become more in conformity with the person of Jesus Christ. Now, this will not ever fully happen until that day when we are redeemed bodily. But yet, the Holy Spirit is working and transforming us and changing us more and more. Now, how do we cooperate with this? Let me share you four things real quick. One is this, ongoing personal repentance. That is, when you realize, here I go again, I'm headed for one of these, these, these shirts here, it's at that point you got to say, no, that's not the direction of my life. And I've got to repent I have sorrow over that, and I turn and I go back to the other direction. And we need ongoing repentance in our life. 
At least I know I do, okay? Daily repenting of those things that need to be repented of. Second, we need ongoing prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit. Last week I told you how um, I, I pray about, Lord, help me not to uh, seek the things of the world, but to set my mind and, and my heart on the things above. One of the other prayers that I use uh, regularly in my life is, Lord, empower me to put off my flesh. And I take ownership for it. Don't blame it on someone else. It's my flesh. Tell Lord, help me to put off my flesh and then to put on the things, the actions and attitudes of Christ. Because I know I cannot do it on my, in my own power. I've tried it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so I have to go regularly to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to help me put on the clothing that I should have on in my life. The third thing is obvious, the ongoing purposeful renewal in the Word of God. And then the fourth one, which we'll look at next week, is the ongoing putting on of the attitudes and actions of Christ. That is, not only do we just put this stuff off, but guess what? Christ has new clothing for us to put on. You just don't leave yourself void, but you fill them up with the things of the Holy Spirit. And notice this. Notice what kind of renewal this is. Verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. Now what is he saying here? Why does all of a sudden as he make these, these, these different uh, referrals to different races and religious pasts and cultures and social classes? Why does he do this? In essence, what he's saying is, he's saying all these people have come to know Christ. It's because of me. It's because I'm in them that they change. And so when I look at this, Right now, you're, you're thinking, Matt, I, I don't, I don't, you don't know my, my, my struggles. Well, these Scythians, these, these, these brothers, they were a certain class of barbarians. And historians have them write, written down. One Greek historian wrote that they drank blood of the first enemy killed in battle and made napkins of scalps and drinking bowls of the skulls of the slain. All right? Is anybody in here struggling with that? Okay. My, my point is this. If God can change them, and if He can change those, those, those prideful Greeks who thought themselves better than everybody, or those Jews who looked more on their, uh, their religious uh, righteousness, if He can change them, God's grace can change you and I. And my exhortation to you is in the light of this message, which is tough. It's a tough message. Try, you should try to preach it. Okay? I want you to delve deeply into God's grace. If you're struggling with any of these things or anything else, God's grace is greater than your greatest sin. Do you know that? But just don't stop there. You see, God's grace, real grace, when you understand it, it leads to repentance. All right? You say, oh, that's not God's goodness for me. That's not His grace He has for me. I, I, I don't want any of that. And God's grace goes on to teach us to deny ungodliness. And so whatever you're struggling, I want you to delve deeply into God's grace. I want you to throw yourself onto God's grace and ask for Him to empower you to put off these things in your life. 
I can think of a time in my life when I thought I had my focus right. I, I thought I was seeking the things above. I thought I was setting my heart and my mind on the things above. But I was missing some putting off practices in my life. I was just blowing it. Totally blowing it. I had a focus here, but the action wasn't there that followed up with it. And God, out of His graciousness and His love, He came by and He just like literally just ripped my feet from out underneath me and brought me to a point of absolute humility where I, I repented of the things that I was uh, involved with and doing and actions and attitudes. He just blew my world. And I had no choice but to look up to God's grace. And I struggled with the guilt about it. But God poured His grace on it. I go back to that guilt. God pours grace on it. And through His truth, He began to renew me and help me to, to, to put to death those kind of things. have nothing to do with them. And to put those things off. And again, putting on His attitudes and His actions. And He can do that in your life too. Delve deeply in His grace. Put to death and put off sin in your life. Dear God, we come. We come as feeble, frail people apt to fail. Lord, we come to seek Your help. Lord, You've given us Your truth. You've told us how You've accomplished forgiveness for us. You've told us how when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have a new position. But then, Lord, you also give us right here in your word the practical truth of how to begin to live that position out. And, Lord, my prayer is that, first of all, Lord, there might be some here this morning who don't know you as their Savior. And, Lord, I pray that you will convict them by their sin. As we listed some of the sins that are mentioned here, Lord, I pray that they're convicted by their sin. And know that because of the sin in their life, uh, they deserve wrath. They, need, they deserve God's righteous, just wrath in their life because of their sin. But Lord, may they also realize that this God who has righteous wrath also extends a hand of love and grace. That if they will receive the person and the work of Jesus Christ by faith alone, that Christ died for their sins and buried and risen again, that they can be forgiven of those sins. They can have new life in Christ. They can have the presence of the Holy Spirit renewing them bring them more in conformity to the person of Christ. So Lord, my prayer is today that that unbeliever might put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray now for my brothers and sisters in Christ, myself included. There's Lord, there's not a one of us that's not struggling with some area of sin in our life. And Lord, I pray that we'll take that sin and we'll realize that you've already died on the cross for that sin. Thank you.
walk out of here.